It's episode 98 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Amy Cook Hodgson. Hello! Hello! Hi! How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well, I'm very well, I'm very well. You're perhaps best known, you're perhaps best known for ostentatious. Mm, yeah. So I find it hard to imagine that there are going to be many people uh, who aren't aware of Ostentatious. Right. But just imagine that there are, and they may be new <laughs> to the improv scene. Yes. Tell me about Ostentatious. <laughs> oh, you poor listeners. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Ostentatious is an improvised Jane Austen novel, play, and uh, it's been around now, I think it's probably coming up for its sixth or seventh year. And um, we are currently at the Savoy once a month on the Strand, and then we are on UK tour intermittently throughout the year, mostly in the autumn. Um, but it's it's an hour long. Sometimes it's a little bit longer with an interval in between. Um, long form improvised play taken from a title which is suggested by an audience member, and that's that's basically it in the style of Jane Austen with uh, period costumes and period musicians. Uh, yeah, and it's a delight and. We never ever dreamed that we'd be still doing it yeah. after you know six or seven years, but but here we are, yeah. still going. Wow! So can you explain the kind of the inception? You know, how, what was mm. the original idea, and has the form sort of evolved over time? Mm. So um, it first began uh, really with Rachel Paris and I uh, were doing some improvised cabaret at the time. We both we'd met each other in Oxford when we were part of the Oxford Imps, and when we moved to London. Uh, we were, I'm not going to say we were bored of short form, but we were looking to do something uh, a little different or a little bit more challenging. And we both had a passion for Jane Austen, or certainly period drama, and thought that might be a nice avenue to explore as a long form format. And we'd worked with Andrew Murray and Joseph Mapergo in Oxford. And so we, I can remember our first meeting, actually. It was at the Soho Theatre Bar. And in a part of the bar that doesn't exist now, they sort of knocked it through. But we sat around this table in a dark, dingy part of the Soho Theatre Bar with a notebook, which I still have at home. Wow. Maybe one day I'll stick on eBay. No. <laughs> <laughs> and we just sort of made some, some notes and some chat about, you know, how we thought this might figure out. And we knew that we needed a few more people for probably wasn't quite enough. So um, that's when Graham... Dixon, who I had been working with in a, a different long-form show um, at the time, uh, joined us, and Carrie Lloyd, who I'd met through Showstoppers. Um, so the six of us sort of just set about, we had a few rehearsals, and then we, we start, I'm sure everyone's told this story before, but we started in a room above a pub in um, Leicester Square area, and I think we had 12 people or 11 people on our first show but that was sold out because the room was that small <laughs> um, so we sold out our first show nice. which was yeah a great boost to morale uh, and we started oh God, I can't believe we used to do this we started the first well, we did the long form show and then afterwards we'd do some short form in the style of Jane Austen <laughs> uh, because we felt like the audience didn't want to just come and watch a long-form play. They needed right. a whole evening's worth of entertainment, so yeah. we should do something else for them. Um, yeah, so we had these parlour games that we sort of played, which were basically short-form games, but we pretended that they were you know, parlour games. 
Um, so would you so be playing in the same character? So you've done the long form. Done the, yeah, the story's done. Yeah. We should all go to the pub. <laughs> yeah, well... But yeah. but no, uh, we did these these short form games. So they were, we weren't playing characters that we played in the first right. half, okay. if you like. It would just be like you would in any short form show, play a different character per game. And uh, yeah, so I think... You know, we played things like New Choice, or I think I think New Choice we called Beg Your Pardon. Or something. <laughs> like these really lame changes. No, to I the love title. that. Oh. I love that. I refuse yeah. to play. Instead of late for work, we had late for church and things like that. <laughs> um, and that, let's just be honest, that didn't last very long. No. We we sort of had that format for the show for a, a couple of months, a few shows, and then we just thought, hang on a minute. Yeah. People really are only here for the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's just do that. That's really um, interesting. Yeah. And I think initially when we f- we first set about doing the show, we had the idea that perhaps we do Austin for perhaps a year, and then we might move to Dickens or Shakespeare or another literary um, genius. Uh, only Austin just seemed to click, so, yeah. so we stuck with that. Um, and for as long as people want to see an improvised Jane Austen, I guess we'll continue to do that. <laughs> it's interesting that, yeah, that sort of, I'm going to call it a lack of confidence mm-hmm. in the format that we need to give them something extra. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, we've, I mean, there've been several incarnations of that sort of fear, I guess. So, yeah, if we're asking people to pay five pounds to come and watch some comedy, well, we need to, you know, you need to fill the evening. Um, and then when we realised people were happy to pay £5 to watch a play for an hour, yeah. then we, we didn't worry so much. And then when we moved to the Leicester Square Theatre for the first show, um, I think we sold something like 150 seats, which in comparison to A Room Above a Pub was a huge step up. Mm. Uh, and so we felt, A, dreadful that people were having to pay over £10 a ticket mm. to come and watch some improvisation. Um, uh, so I baked cakes so wow. everybody had a, a cupcake along with their ticket. So the, our first show at Leicester Square Theatre, I spent the whole day in the kitchen. And then Rachel and Graham came round to help decorate the cakes. And then we got a taxi with 150 cupcakes to the Leicester Square Theatre because we just, I think we just felt like we needed to provide some sort yeah. of treat. And what we didn't trust was that the work was enough. Yeah. Um, and obviously now I think we, we feel like we know what we're doing is, is enough to yeah. entertain. So, you know. I don't have to bake anymore, but um, yeah, it's strange, isn't it? We, I think, because it, it's such a throwaway art form, uh, do we have to make excuses for it? I, I don't know why we feel this need. I think it's obviously becoming more and more accepted as an art form, and people realise it's not just a rehearsal technique um, or something you go and watch drunk, after, you know, after a night of out with your mates or whatever. Which, although there's, you know, there's plenty of room for that type of improv, and it's fun, you know, when when you want a bit of a, a giggle, but um, yeah, it it can be a piece of theatre. You know, showstoppers have done a huge amount for creating a musical, an actual genuine genuine musical that is worthy of the West End, um, by making it up. And I think that's fabulous. And I I feel like hopefully people feel like we've done the same for sort of improvised theatre. So yeah. We're getting we're getting more confident, I guess. It's taking a while, but we're getting there. Fantastic. So I'm interested in um, how. Okay, the question is. Go on. How do you improvise a Jane Austen novel? <laughs> well, I guess like how do you improvise anything? Um, I'd like to know that yeah. as well. <laughs> that would be really good. Well, it, I guess there's a lot of practice involved, and it's not necessarily 
just through the lens of Jane Austen. It's getting good at being just a, a genuinely good improviser, yeah. the best of your ability. And um, obviously we try and play everything through the lens of what Regency England would have felt like. But you can never do that 100% of the time, which is why anomalies crop up. And, and then that's sort of part of the game, a mistake or a slip up becomes something joyous to explore. So how do you improvise Jane Austen? Well, you immerse yourself, I guess, as much as you possibly can in that era and in her writing. And, and then you do what you would do in any other show, yeah. um, which is listen to your scene partner and respond. Yeah. Um, there's no magic to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I was hoping there's some magic and you could just tell me and then I'd know. <laughs> um, I mean, there are some of us definitely in the cast who are uh, more adept at the language. Uh, you know, like Joe and Andy both studied Austin at Oxford. So, you know, they've written essays and studied her work uh, very, very carefully. And, you know, famously, Graham Dixon hadn't read any Austin until a year into doing Ostentatious. So, wow. Yeah, I think he'd seen one once on the telly at Christmas <laughs> or something. But, you know, you don't, you don't need to know Jane Austen inside out. Um, I mean, he just looks great in the costume, doesn't he? Well, so that's going to help, isn't it? It helps, yeah. <laughs> you can forgive a lot for that. <laughs> yeah. And also, if you're surrounded by people that do know it, uh, then you're just mirroring. Yeah, it's a lifeline, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, and I really like um, the fact you get written suggestions at the mm. beginning. Has it always been that way? It has, actually, yeah. I think we, we made a, a choice at the start that we wanted the ask for to be different to a usual um, improvised show. We didn't want sort of rowdy yelling out and, you know, we've all had enough of hearing gynaecologist or spatula shouted out. So what was Taxidermist. It? Yeah, exactly. Genuinely, why would you want to see a scene about that? I just don't know. One day I'll do a show that's just based on those suggestions. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so also you, yeah, we were trying to mirror what the for you know the form was. So the, there was a con the concept was that the audience would be almost themselves part of the literary experience by generating a title and writing it down. Although having said that, now we've moved to the West End, and obviously there are so many more people in the room to mm -hmm. try and include. Um, we get people to shout them out. Oh. Um, and then there's a time for them to be able to submit their written ones at the interval. So we still have, after the interval, a time to explore written suggestions. Um, but at the very top of the show, just to speed things up, yeah. um, we have a few shouted out. Yeah. We had that, I'm sure many people are aware, we had a sort of a, a rule that it was always the third title. And we stuck to that religiously for several years. Um, it was whatever the third one was that we pulled out the hat, that's what we would do. And even if it was very similar to one we'd done before, or even if it was perhaps you know, not very appropriate on occasion. Um, and then we thought, why, why are we doing that? Um, we know that the audience love hearing their suggestion read out or discussed. So perhaps we could give people more opportunity to share their ideas. Uh, and also it just gives us an opportunity to perhaps pick titles. Now we've done so many shows mm. to pick titles that really are ones that would be a challenge to us rather than repeating yet another Donald Trump title or a Brexit title. Um, so, yeah, so we've now sort of, we've done a bit of both. There's a bit of shouting out and there's also still the written element to it. Mm. So uh, are you doing two different stories then if you've got two different titles? Like no, no, no. So um, at the beginning, that's the title that we choose for the whole show oh, right. and that runs through the 
two halves. Um, but in the in well, just after the interval, the professor just says, of course, we're seeing this one this evening, but there are so many more that we could have seen. Uh, and that's when we just explore yes. a few other people's ideas, just to make sure everyone feels like they've had a chance to be heard. All right, so and then we all often tweet our be- our top favourite That's always um, a nice on thing Twitter to do, or Instagram. Yes. Yeah. So um, uh, the 45th president aside and uh, the <laughs> European... Um, Disaster? Impending disaster? I don't know. I was going to call it referendum, but we're past that <laughs> stage. I was just trying to not call it Brexit. Uh, uh, those two subjects aside... Yeah. What are the favourites that you get asked for? Uh, so the, there's a lot of um, sort of 007 or 00 Darcy type really? references. That's interesting. Yeah, um, I think those the film the, what the film references are often a really big gift if you know what the film is, mm. or if like me, <laughs> your popular <laughs> cultural references are rusty at best, uh, mean that you just end up. It's basically screwing up the story because you've no idea what anyone else is doing <laughs> making reference to. Um, so, uh, yeah, so there's often quite clever puns on films. Mm. But actually, some of the ones that are the best to play with are ones that I think I still remember one we had in Edinburgh. This is going back a few years now. That was called Sly's New Car. Um, Sly's New Car. We, we pulled it and that was the third one. So we, do, we were doing it. And I just—I think we all just looked at each other and went, well, what on earth are we going to do with that? Yeah. Sly's new car. Well, cars weren't even around. What are we going to do? But actually, it turned out to be the most fabulously fun show because we really were thrown into a place where <laughs> nobody knew anything or what we would do. There was no pre-planning. Not that there is any pre-planning, yeah. but of course, when you've been in a genre for a very long time, there are sort of elements of storylines that you know work for that genre. Yes. Or, you know plot points that might help you know people being sent to prison or unrequited love or whatever but with Sly's new car well (laughs) anything was game (laughs) how did you solve that Uh, I just seem to remember we turned it into a carriage and it became like a carriage that was being souped up and it was a bit like pimp my ride (laughs) but it was a pimp my carriage Um, yeah it was it was really fun yeah and I think we have um recently I think we've had quite a lot of uh, RuPaul's Drag Race type references. That's interesting. Yeah. There's a big crossover between, or is that just such a huge global phenomenon? I think it's just, just so huge. Right, okay. But it's sort of dripping, drip feeding into the comedy world. Because I was trying to understand the Venn diagram yeah. between Jane Austen and RuPaul. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'd like to see that show. They're both a comedy of manners, I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I think if we'd have done a show like that, our younger audience would have gone crazy for it. And the likes of my parents wouldn't have had a clue what was going on, but probably would have thought it was fun. Mm. Um, but yeah, they, it, you know, certainly things like uh, Game of Thrones. So whatever's really big on Netflix often somehow makes its way into our suggestion basket that's interesting um, yeah so yeah we've had also i mean i just love our audience because you genuinely can't predict what they're going to say <laughs> uh, well actually you can to a certain degree because there you know there will be some sort of trump related yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um I mean, especially when we go to the the regions oh uh, really yeah when you're <laughs> yeah. regional touring yeah. yes um often i think for them it's like oh this will be funny Let's, let's see what they do when we tell them they have to have Trump in the story. Um, oh, yeah. He's already ruined lots of things, don't Yeah, don't, don't ruin uh, another hour uh, worth of your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is your one hour. This is an hour to escape that. Yeah. Um, 
but I think you know the more repeat visitors that we get, which we definitely find when we're on tour. At least people are cut. You know, if we're returning to a city like Salford or something, people have been to see us the last time we were there. So people are beginning to get an expectation of, <sighs> you know, how left field the title could be, and yes. actually what a joy that can be for us because it really puts us on, you know, in on on the edge of our seats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. good. Do you find yourself playing particular roles within the story? Um, I think we probably naturally, but just because actors have their own casting bracket, don't they? As much as that frustrates me, I think when I first became an actor, I thought I could do anything. I could be anybody. Yes. Uh, and then, as I sort of became a little bit more connected with myself, <laughs> <laughs> I realised that wasn't really the case. Um, so I think, of course, your natural casting sort of helps shape some character choices you make um, but we are we work quite hard to try and push ourselves into positions that we we wouldn't normally play um, you know I, I it always sort of breaks my heart slightly if I'm ever playing sort of young ingenue and at, at some point I say would well, I'm only two and twenty or something and the audience wets themselves because Obviously, they can see there's a 40-year-old woman standing on the stage. But up until that moment, I believed that yeah. I was two and 20. <laughs> <laughs> if no one else had, well, I'm sorry. I didn't do a good enough job. <laughs> but yeah, we, we do try as much as possible to, um, to not sort of cast according to mm. um, our natural casting, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Um, but having said that, I love playing a maid. Yeah, right. Uh, That's interesting. And I quite like playing mums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit Mrs. Bennet-like. Yes. Yeah, so I think we probably do all have places where we feel strong playing, you know, play stronger in those roles. Mm. Um, But that's not to say that we always play those roles. Yeah. And, of course, your costumes. Yes. So that's going to... That dictates some things, doesn't it? Yeah. So we've had recent, uh, recently we've all had new costumes made for the West End. Wow. Um, so uh, we've tried to pick costumes that sort of could be dressed up so you could play high status characters but also wouldn't look too glamorous so that if you are playing sort of a lowly middle class family, lowly middle class. <laughs> um, what a world, yeah. what a world. <laughs> that you don't look out of place there. Um, and then we've got accessories that help us sort of dress either way. So um, you've talked a little bit about um, not casting to type and things like that. Yeah. But perhaps the most best example of this yeah. uh, is crostentatious. Mm. Tell me about that. <laughs> What's that? So um, it's <laughs> dramatic, dramatic <laughs> singing music background. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's probably the highlight of the year I think for us in that we really do just get to let loose. Uh, I think I think the girls possibly like it more than the boys. I don't know. We should explain what it is. Yes, good point. <laughs> For those at home who have no idea. So once a year, and then actually I think last year we did it twice. We do a charity show where the boys dress in uh, women's costumes and the ladies dress in men's costumes. And uh, all the proceeds go to charity. And it's usually a very late night slot. So it's at the fringe. And uh, it's usually when they have a, a spare hour in their tent, usually 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock at night. And our audience is usually quite lubricated, <laughs> uh, which is unusual because our show is obviously normally one o'clock in the, in the afternoon. Right, so yes. it's very much a lovely lunchtime show. Mm. And then all of a sudden we see what real comedy audiences <laughs> are. Um, 
and it's just some people come in, in drag themselves. Wow. Um, in Austin drag. Or... With both. Oh right, lovely. Yeah, which is <laughs> which is wonderful. Um, Do you get fans turning up? To the, I'm going to say ordinary gigs, yeah. but the, the usual gigs in costume. Yes, we do. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I mean, not hugely frequently, but definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially if you go to someone like Bath. Oh, well, they, yes, they're just where, like that all the time. Know, that's not just, dressed that's up bad. Nothing has changed since Northanger yeah. Abbey. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yes, we do have co- people in the audience dressed as cost- in costume. Uh, but, yeah, Crossentatious, I guess, we try every year backstage, we have this chat where we say to ourselves, right, just because you're wearing the opposite clothes doesn't mean to say that you can play the stereotypes of that gender. And then the lights go up, and within three seconds... <laughs> I don't know why, we just can't help ourselves, and I am definitely included in that. Um, we, we just we tell the story the other way around, I guess. Well, then actually, the story's exactly the same, in that, you know, that there's usually a girl who's in need of finding a husband, usually. Um, and then there's usually some dreadful men who get in the way. Uh, <laughs> I think my I think my favourite was maybe not last year, but the year before I played Boris Johnson. Right, um, okay. And, uh, yeah, and invented sort of a, a bicycle that the town could borrow. <laughs> well, it's, um, bicycle. <laughs> and I uh, just came into every scene on a pretend mimed bicycle. I mean, that just really proves the adage that it's not the quality of the suggestion, it's the quality of what you do with it that's important. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> I remember one a few years ago, which was a Star Wars. I think it was Star Wars. <laughs> and the only person in the cast that really was solid on their Star Wars knowledge was Rachel Paris. And everyone else really didn't know what on earth was going on. I think at one point Rachel was like, listen, this, this is what we're meant to be doing. Obviously from within the scene. Um, yeah, we hadn't got a clue. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're an awful lot of fun and, and often rules are very much broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I very much look forward to those. I don't know if we're having one this Edinburgh. We haven't quite discussed it because we're only up for 10 days. Right. Um, so I don't know whether there'll be enough of us. To, it would be great if we could. We're playing um, the McEwen Hall um, this year. So we're moving out of the cow for the first time in a few years and then uh, moving into... So the McEwen Hall is in Bristow Square. I don't know if, if you know, know it. It's, uh, I think it's the university sort of grand lecture, I don't know if it's a lecture hall actually or whether it's where you have graduation ceremonies probably more more that uh, but anyway I think it seats close on a thousand people so uh, if we could have a crostentatious in there <laughs> and that would make a lot of money for charity that would be amazing so fingers crossed, We'll I'll get back to you on that yes that yeah. sounds amazing um, and you've also been on Radio 4 yes oh, oh. how was that? Well, that was a real treat a real treat yeah because of course, you know, you make this piece of theatre that's very much a visual art, and and then someone comes along and says, "How about we take away the visual elements <laughs> and, and we stick it on the radio?" And uh, I think we were a little bit sceptical about as to how well it would transfer to radio, and we had a few rehearsals. That our producer was amazing, John Harvey uh, Hattrick. He um, was very sincere. He was definite that it would it would do well. Yeah. And but we sort of thought, well, we need to just practice this a little bit. So we had these rehearsals, um, just trying really hard. Not only did we have to sort of make it much more verbal and descriptive, I guess, um, and less physical comedy, which I really struggled with because that's the thing that I love to do uh, most. Yeah, yeah. Um, it 
it also had to be condensed right down because yes. the radio show obviously is is much shorter than our normal hour long show. So could we tell a, a, an engaging story in twenty eight minutes or thirty minutes or whatever? And so we had these rehearsals and and we thought yeah we think we can do this. So we for those people who don't know we actually recorded that both two shows in fact in front of a live audience. So it was still done as we would do our normal show in yeah. costume with musicians and. Um, oh right! So you, yeah. you did that. You weren't just all you, you know, around a couple of yeah, microphones in, in and... a studio somewhere. Ah, no, right, we, right. we were in, um, yeah, in town in in a theatre. I think we had maybe three hundred people in the audience, and uh, and that's when we I think we first did the shouting out of suggestions for titles because it was radio. We wanted people to really believe they yes. could hear that it was someone's verbal suggestion and not just trust that it was written on a piece of paper that we could have obviously planted because that's what people think we do <laughs> um, and uh, yeah and it, it was really joyous yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, I don't I don't know if I can anyway I shouldn't say anything just in case I'm not allowed to say but anyway watch the space okay <laughs> <laughs> very exciting I mean maybe sensing uh, <laughs> what that means um, <laughs> I'm not really helping the situation here, am I? Uh, brilliant. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Uh, let's change pace, maybe oh, sure. change gears maybe a little yeah. bit. And let's talk about Bumper Blighton. Bumper Blighton, yeah. So that's a, a, another long-form show that I do um, for those people at home who's not seen it. It's um, it's a long-form narrative show uh, in the style of Enid Blighton. Mm. And uh, this is, I think, our third year of doing the show. Uh, we're going up to Edinburgh this summer for the whole month uh, in a new room at Udderbelly called De- Dexter. In fact, it's beneath McEwen Hall. So Ostentatious is above us <laughs> with a thousand seats and we are in a studio beneath for 60 seats, I think. It's perfect for us. Um, yeah, so it, it'll, be, it's, it'll be heaps of fun, I think, to, uh, to have like a, a really nice uh, venue to work towards putting the show in this summer. Uh, were, yeah. you, were you a Blighton fan as a oh, child? Huge, yeah, yeah, yeah. huge, which, yeah. Which series was your favourite? That's a very good question. I think I was a famous five yeah. girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I loved Mallory Towers. I think Mallory Towers made me want to go to boarding school more right. than anything. And yeah, my yeah. parents were not very fond of my requests to, <laughs> to go. Um, did, but did you go to boarding school? No, I didn't. Because <laughs> no. like, I wonder how often that happened. Yes. And it just, it was through a series of events. It's like, oh, I've really ended up at boarding school now. Where's Daryl and, rea- and Alicia? Yeah. It's like, it's not really working the for me. The reality is very different, I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, I think I'm probably a famous wife. But I used to have, I remember, it's probably my favourite memory of Ina Blackmore's. I don't know if you ever had one of these. It's like a read your own adventure. Oh, yeah, your, yeah, yeah, with, yeah, yeah. And you had like a little card which was a backpack and then yes. you could slot things. Did you see have yeah. one of those? Yes, yes I did. And yes, you rolled yes. Up the dive. yes. Oh God, I loved that. <laughs> and I must have read them all over a hundred times. But Yes, and you had you had uh, a die that you could roll. Yeah. And uh, it had each member of the famous five yeah. and then I think I can't remember what the sixth one was, but uh, Oh, like a wild card, something maybe. Like yeah, yeah, a yeah, smuggler yeah. or something a like smuggler. that. <laughs> it's always a smuggler. Uh, yeah. I was uh, particularly fond of the adventure series, so the Island yeah. of Adventure and um, the Sea of Adventure, uh, in which the uh, children made friends with two puffins, mm-hmm. uh, who they called Huffin and Puffin. puffin. <laughs> so very much Huffin the Puffin is a very much classically named uh, Puffin. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm on board with. 
Puffin the Puffin. Yeah. But then the other Puffin, puffin was the puffin. puffin the Puffin, which... Uh, oh, of... Enid Blythe is so on the nose. <laughs> well, you yeah. know, sometimes, you know, you don't necessarily need to be subtle. Sometimes you just need to be clunky but clear, yeah. but uh, yeah. Puffin the Puffin. Yeah, so I, I think probably Famous Five, but, you know, our show tries to sort of... Draw, I mean, it probably is closest to the Famous Five, yeah. slash the adventure series, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, we did initially, when we first started out think that we might sort of try out some of the magic that happens in sort of far away tree ah. or perhaps you know elements of noddy and then we found very quickly that if you're telling an, an adventure story which you know bumper blighton is um that if you suddenly have a, a talking elf and then you try and describe something magical that you can't then promise on you can promise on stage but you can't deliver it on stage yeah. uh, that it became a bit crazy so uh, yeah so those things Sort of, it's not that they can't happen in the show, but we sort of tend to stick to more of an adventure. Yeah, because I mean, I read Noddy as a child, but I didn't read the Magic Faraway Tree um, till my kids were little, and mm. that was the first time I'd read those ones. And yeah, very different genre. Yes. Yeah, I can see how those two would not fit. It's too wide then. Yeah. Um, so it is basically Famous Five slash Adventure series. Yeah. yeah. So what's your ask for? Good question. We have about 9,000 ask Brilliant. And we all of them in order from the beginning, missing out and I'll be counting. <laughs> it's the opposite of ostentation. So uh, we have some big foam dice. <laughs> I say dice, it's more than one. Yeah. And uh, they have some little pockets in where you can slot paper. So the audience draw or write their suggestions onto these big foam roll your own adventure type wow. dice. So on one dice we have a childhood fear. And on the other die we have um, an adventurous word. And then on two more dice, we have um, lines of dialogue uh, that you wouldn't find in an Enid Blyton. Oh, right. Okay. So the childhood fear hopes to uh, inspire... Well, it it could inspire the the narrative in any which way, depending on what it is. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean that the protag has directly that fear. Right. Um, So, for example, the show we just did at Hoopla the other day... Uh, the fear was a spider, but that then was not something to be afraid of in the story. In fact, the spider became food, uh, bizarrely. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so, and actually, some another character had pets, insects. So, it, you know, it doesn't have to directly translate. Um, and then the adventurous word helps us build the title. Mm. And we build the title uh, a little bit like Game Scrabble. Have you seen the, Have you seen the show? Yes, yeah. I have. I love this. Yeah. I love this building of the title. Explain. Yeah. It's quite hard it's to hard explain. It's hard to explain, isn't it? So one of the words comes from the audience, obviously, um, and then each player in the show adds another word to fit in around to create the title. Of and the you narrative. sort of stand in a row. Yes, yeah. in a line, sort of reading the words out as they go. And of course, the words can be changed and moved, which changes sometimes the the meaning of the words. Uh, until we finally get to the final title. And um, sometimes that works better than others. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the audience is usually, like, by the time we've finished it and they've seen all this, like, dashing about, it's very much on board because they think, yeah, they've actually managed something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they've achieved it. Sometimes it's um, the journey that's important. Yeah, 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 yeah. right, poor things. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we, we get the title that way and then... We're sort of trialling out new ways of including audience suggestions because what we're very aware is, of is that um, many reviews of improv shows uh, sort of mention that, that people's suggestions aren't you. You know, you'll often walk away and you'll get a tweet saying, 
it was a great show, but you didn't use my suggestion. Or, yeah. And whilst I'm, you know, we're not doing this for the audience in that way, it would be nice to make sure that perhaps more people are included, which yes. is, you know, with Austin, why we read out those additional titles. So we were thinking of ways that we could incorporate more people's ideas to show them, you know, we really are making this up and we do have to change the course of things based on what you give us. So these... I don't know if it will stick for Edinburgh, but currently what we're doing is these dice with lines of dialogue can be chucked onto the stage at any point um, by by audience members. And those lines of dialogue might be a line of dialogue or it might be a song or it might be a poem or however we decide to incorporate it into the action. Wow. So we're trying to sort of play around. It's much more anarchic than ostentatious, uh, a bit more playful and hopefully reflects the genre and yeah. and the nature of it. It's not a children's show. Yes. Um, you know, it's not that we go around swearing, but you know, it's it's much more an adult playful yes. piece of theatre. Yes. yes. And you could have something bizarre and unusual happening and that would not be out of genre because sometimes right. you know, there are <laughs> there's there's one book where there's there's a colour that is impossible to describe and, you know, I mean, thank you, Enid, for giving us basically endless opportunities to do anything that we wanted, really, and and blame her. But you would always have food. There's always always, a picnic, yeah. yeah, Well, that's the the thing about, because the children, and maybe adults as well, but when they read your book, they want to have the adventures, but they don't want to be hungry. Right. So that the food is always taken care of. Very important, yeah. Very very good. Uh, Cool. Brilliant. That sounds fantastic. Um, Let's talk about clowning. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I've got a list <laughs> oh, oh, well let's tick this off tick. Um, I, mean, I guess you know often I think people ask me what you know when people book you to become to be a coach or a teacher or something yes. for an improv session or a group you know what is it that you bring to the show and I always find that really hard because I don't I don't know what that is but I think more recently people have mentioned that they they think that I'm the sort of the clown or the physical comedian, ah. particularly within ostentatious, perhaps. But um, so, what sort of you know form might that take? Well, I think I think quite uh, visually when I'm in a scene. So I might not necessarily be verbally describing the environment, but I de- I when I'm in a scene, I definitely know what it looks like. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And what's around me, I guess. You know, with Crostentatious, that that's why the bicycle arrived. But um, yeah, so I I like to play with the imaginary world, uh, which often I think sort of leads itself to some clowning. Yeah. Um, what do you mean by clowning? Yeah, it's one of those. Hard, what does that mean? Define, I, isn't it? People who are like classically trained in clown are probably going to hate me for this. But um, <laughs> I've had some Lecoq training, but not loads. Um, what does it mean? I think it just means what's the game of the thing that you're doing physically? Is that what it is? Yeah, I guess it's like play the game of your your character's physical choices, whether that be a bodily choice and the way you walk or the way you behave or perhaps the way you interact with with something. So um, because it and this is this is why I think I found the radio thing quite hard is that I quite often like to play games with my surroundings. Mm. Um, and obviously that doesn't transfer. In fact, I think even in the radio show you could hear people laughing, but nobody really knows at home what they're laughing at because, <laughs> because I'm just in the corner doing something that's probably upstaging someone doing some worthy work with words. Um, right, can you give me an example of the sort of thing that you do? Yeah, well, I guess I quite like 
you know, if, if there's a bar scene, I love being involved in a bar, you know, being a barmaid because there's endless things uh, to play with. Uh, or if there's cocktails to be made, um, or just, it's really hard to sort of pinpoint, yeah. but I guess um, I try and give myself an activity when I'm in a scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whether that's, oh, just a thought of something. When I, a recent show, not the last West End show for Ostentatious, but the, the one before, um, we had an imaginary piano. And that night we happened to have two musicians on stage who both could play the piano. One was on keys, one was on violin, but I knew that they both played piano. So I then pimped Rachel and I to play a duet on the piano, which then meant we were playing this sort of game with the two musicians who then both had to play the piano. So it's it's that sort of thing where yeah, you, can, yeah, yeah. you think, oh, we could really try something out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so I guess those sorts of things. So just being very much um, engaged in the environment in which you find yourself in your imagination and just hope that everyone else, <laughs> that everyone else is on board with it too. <laughs> yeah. I think like that show I also spent a lot of time riding um, a very small pony. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but for most of the show I think I was on a pony. <laughs> so it seems that I'm riding things a lot, doesn't it? It's yes. um, interesting. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I was just indulging in some physical comedy there that uh, nobody could see it. Yes. Uh, that sounds brilliant. Um, and yeah, and talking of the pianos, that brings us on to sort of musical improvisation. Mm. Another yeah. love of yours? Yes. Yeah, I think um, when I first joined the Imps, a part of the, uh, the audition process, I don't know that it's changed in 10 years, but um, it's quite tricky. Yeah. Hardcore, yeah, especially when you think the majority of those people are doing improv for the very, very first time. They've yeah. never even probably heard of improv or even seen the show when they turn up to those auditions. I joined the Imps. Um, I was much older. I'd already finished my Masters and I was working in Oxford. And so I can't remember how old I was. I was 28 or something, 27 when I joined. And of course, most people are 17, 18. Yeah. Um, I've known Joe McHergo since he was like an 18-year-old fresher. It's very scary. <laughs> Um, yeah, so there. No, this is no exaggeration. There were 120 people at my first audition. Wow! And I turned up, and there was all these teenagers in a big queue out of the door, round the block, round the quad. And I just thought, I don't. Why am I here? Yeah. Uh, at the time, I was doing a lot of musical theatre, um, but I knew that I enjoyed playing improv style games in the rehearsal room. I'd been lucky enough to work with some directors who'd sort of used effectively short form games as part of the bonding process or the development process. And so I thought, oh, I think, I, I think I'd like to give this a go. And I'd been to watch The Imps and uh, thought, well, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll have a go. Someone yeah. had, had recommended that I sort of turn up to the audition. So I, so I did. And I left my handbag by the door because I just was ready to run at any point. If it ever got too tricky, at least yeah. I could just make a swift exit. And I'm trying to remember. Oh, music. That's where we were to begin with. Yes. <laughs> so we had, you know, the first round of auditions, which were basically just scenes. And then I got a call back to go the next day for the, the uh, second round of auditions. And that's when the keyboard came out. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think we played a giant game of Duron. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just went down the line, everyone coming up with a rhyme. And, and it got to me and I thought, I don't know if I can do this, but I'll just open my mouth and have a go. And and it worked. And wow! I was like, oh, wow! So not only is this game thing fun, but now there's music as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So I I very quickly became uh, 
as someone who enjoyed doing the long-form musicals that, that uh, the Imps put on and doing any musical sort of game. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I do. I love I love musical improv with a passion. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I sometimes use it at school. I teach music and drama at a school for two days a week, and um, and I use it quite a lot in my work. because yeah. uh, I think it's it's a very liberating yeah. uh, tool to be able to to use. I also uh, I also love it. I um, was recently at the British Improv project in uh, Leicestershire Great. and um, we did a, sh a session on short form uh, musical improvisation um, with uh, Tom Young and Tom Hodge mm. um, and we did the cell block tango oh, great. and it was my most favourite thing in the world ever. ever. It was so much Cell fun. block tango is so fun. I didn't even realise you could do that as an improvised thing Yeah. and it's, it's one of those things where I'm just good enough, so I'm enjoying it, but I'm not quite good enough. Um, it's that it's that, that, that flow state where you, you, you're doing it enough so you feel you can do it, but you're challenged enough so that you're having to really think. Yeah. And that bit where you look to Tom Hodge and he stops playing and then you deliver the last killer line. Yeah. Oh, really hard, really hard, but so much fun and so rewarding oh, when good. it works. Yeah. It's, um, it's something that I don't do enough of, actually. I'd really like to do more of it. Um, yeah, so, but it's, you know, it's one of those things that, how many musical improv groups can there be in one <laughs> city? I mean, there could be as many as they you know, as they like, but um, I, I'm very fortunate because I get to guest with some shows here and there, so uh, when those opportunities come along, yeah. then I jump on them. I've just recently been working with someone called Jason Kravitz, I don't know if you've heard of him, he's, no. uh, he's an American, New York-based um, cabaret, well, I don't want to call him a cabaret artist, he's, he's an all-round actor, mu musician, uh, comedian improviser uh, he's been on pretty much any American sitcom you can imagine yeah. he's bit like Friends Gilmore Girls he plays the Jewish lawyer or the Jewish waiter right. or the I mean that's his casting <laughs> and he's done some shows in Broadway he's the most phenomenal voice and he's the most insane uh, musical lyrical improviser his show so I, I did it in Edinburgh for with him as a guest last summer and then when I was in New York earlier this year, I guested with him there, and then he's just been over. We did a show at Zadell's last week. Um, and he's... So he has the format of the show. So the, the songs are basically sculpted already because he knows the sort of styles of songs. So he knows that at this point there'll be a song time and at this point there'll be a jazz, and at this point there'll be, you know, um, sort of a, a more poppy number. But he obviously doesn't know what the subjects yeah. will be. And... Uh, it, he's just so gifted it blows my mind every time I watch it I get to watch most of the show from the audience and then of course I'm this I'm basically a plant <laughs> and, uh, and then pop up and get to do a couple of numbers so um, yeah he's he's great to play with I should definitely catch that show it's called Off the Top if cool. you ever get a chance to see it it's at Adelaide Festival I think in, in a few weeks time Brilliant. Cool. Uh, right, time for the big the big sort of final question. Oh my gosh. Well, normally the big final question is what is your signature move, but I think we've kind of discussed that already. We've already <laughs> it's a bicycle. It's mate. a bicycle. It's a bicycle. <laughs> uh, so, um, if someone were to step on stage with you, yeah. what could they do to delight you? Oh, what a great question. Thank um, you, Jules Munns. <laughs> not my question, I've stolen it from him. What could they do to delight me? Um, without sounding like an absolute idiot, I think just play with me. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, I I think I find 
what do I find frustrating? I find frustrating when people come in with very much a preconceived idea of what they want to happen in the scene because that means it, I'm fine to accept people's ideas, but if I don't know what your idea yes. is, then I spend the whole time second guessing, panicking, I've got it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if someone meets me yes. as an equal and we get to figure it out together, that sends me into hyperspace. I love that. Brilliant. Yeah. Joint play. Joint play. That yeah. sounds fantastic. <laughs> Thank you very much for being a guest on the Improv London podcast. Thank you for having me. What a delight. Yeah. I made this. That's improv. <laughs>